Welcome to Triple Zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. We got a lot to talk about. As usual, man, it's never a slow day in the sports world, but it's been a particularly interesting past couple of weeks. The NFL playoffs are, of course, going into the divisional round, and the NBA is at the halfway point just about. Uh, we're getting close to the All-Star game, and you are starting to see who are the real contenders and who are the pretenders and who are some of the young teams that are surprising with how they are playing so far this season. We're going to start, though, with the NFL playoffs and the divisional round. First matchup, we're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings will be facing the 49ers. 49ers obviously had that bye week, being the number one or coming off the the regular season. Kirk Cousins versus Joey Bosa in that front four. I'm not sure if Kirk Cousins is really going to be. They, they won the game, and he threw the touchdown pass to Kyle Rudolph, but it, it was a lot of missteps by the New Orleans Saints that allowed the Vikings to come away with that one. I know this is picking apart and and really parsing something that probably doesn't need to be because the at the end of the day the Vikings won the game, but I think the fact of the matter is we're still not sure that Kirk Cousins can deliver when the game is thrust upon him. Honestly, if you if you're gonna say something about it, because I mentioned this on the last episode, the person who got beat for that touchdown to Rudolph A was a victim of offensive pass interference, but B was Marcus Williams, who we know was also burned on the Minneapolis Miracle. So I'm I'm still skeptical. I know I'm 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 the hardest person to convince gotta be because th- I just don't believe what I've seen from Kirk Cousins as, thus far. Now, will a playoff win change it? If he plays well, yeah, but I, I can still see a, a scenario where they win this game and he doesn't play great because I don't ha- I have even less faith in Jimmy Garoppolo and he played better late uh, as the season wore on, but I'm not sure again facing a front like Minnesota's if he's going to be able to overcome that. Now, we could likely see a game where the defenses are the ones doing the heavy lifting and the quarterbacks are just kind of minimizing the mistakes. And if that's the case, I think I might put – I want to say I put more money on Jimmy G, but he doesn't necessarily have a great track record with keeping the ball secure either. He's kind of like Kirk Cousins in that way. So you you really are getting two very similar teams with uh, very solid fronts. The secondary of this of the Niners is much more secure than the back end of the, the Vikings defense, but on offense, running games are very sound, and the, the quarterbacks have very serious questions about them. I mentioned the running game. Dalvin Cook at one point was leading the league in rushing before he went down with injury, but he had 1,135 yards this season, 94 yards last week against New Orleans. And then the 49ers backs, they came in second this year in rushing as a team. The backs had... 2,305 yards. So this is going to be a ground game, ground pound defensive fight, and it's going to come down to which quarterback is going to be able to minimize the mistakes that we know that they are both prone to when the game is put on their shoulders. Cousins has the experience edge here, so maybe that helps him out. But, the again, the, the Niners have the more stout, the more the tougher, the harder to throw on secondary, easy for me to say. So if, if I, I guess I have to go with the Niners here, they're the hot team, the night the Vikings again did get that win last week, but 
I, if we're putting the money on the quarterbacks, I guess I have to go with the game plan of the 49ers as well as the ability to throw multiple runners and not just rely on one guy in Dalvin Cook. Also, the matchup with Richard Sherman and Stephon Diggs should be a fun one. Stephon Diggs was caught on the sideline pouting and then had the early pictures released of him doing the motorbike. And people thought, you know, the, the still shot was released and saying that he was taunting Sean Payton. Come to find out he actually shook Payton's hand just like he should have. And it was really just a, a snapshot taken out of context, as is prone to happen in this day and age. But that's an interesting matchup with Richard Sherman. Bet on himself, you know the story. All pro this year. People mock his contract. He went he went on Twitter seeking revenge, by the way. Good for him. That's gonna be a matchup to watch. And then to see if Adam Thielen can stay healthy. He's been nicked up a lot this year. They're gonna need him. But I just I, I can't I can't I've seen Kirk Cousins again as a Bears fan. Seen Kirk Cousins and am not sold on him whatsoever. Now Jimmy Garoppolo too, I've seen do some some questionable things with the ball. But I think at this point in time, with the the way you can kind of throw on that Viking secondary at times, Xavier Rhodes gets torn up a lot. I think that the edge will still have to go to the Vikings or to the Niners, especially with the home field advantage. The next game is the Titans at the Ravens. This is Derrick Henry, the league's leading rusher with fifteen hundred yards, over fifteen hundred yards, versus the league's best rushing team with thirty-two, nearly thirty-three hundred yards as a team. The Ravens actually had Lamar, their quarterback, Lamar Jackson, go over 1,200 yards. Mark Ingram had over 1,000 yards. And then the second running back, Gus Edwards, had 711 yards. So this team pounds the ball, and we know that they have the RPOs at their disposal with Lamar Jackson, who's just a weapon. People say he's Vic 2.0. It's almost like Vic 2.5 because he's so advanced as a passer, in my opinion, at this point in his career, so much more so much farther advanced, so much farther along as a passer than Vic was. Vic didn't get this kind of pocket presence until he went to Philadelphia. Now we know about the coordinator in Baltimore being the one who got Vic in Philadelphia. But I think what you see now is the ability for Lamar to have this this uh, this ascension beyond what people started to see in Mike Vic in Philly before he started getting hurt again. The Titans are going to have to rely on Ryan Tannehill. He's going to have to do more this week for sure than he did last week against the Patriots, who had a struggling offense, who showed you that they were struggling and not nearly the, the team that we thought they were. But he completed 50, 53% of his passes, Ryan Tannehill. 72 yards, he had a touchdown, and he had an interception. It just wasn't enough, and the, there was a meme going around that his highlight was him handing the ball to Derrick Henry, who had a monstrosity of a game. We talked about that last episode. And I just don't know if there's a if there's any way that he's gonna do better this week against a uh, Ravens secondary. Ravens defense has given up the second fewest yards uh, over the second half of the season in, the, in this decade. Now that is a two pronged thing. First of all, it's tied to Marcus Peters' arrival since being traded from the Rams, but also it's a loaded stat. There is it's a lot of stipulations. The second fewest yards, first of all, the over the second half of the season. season and then it's in this decade. Then you also have to throw in that their competition was a mixed bag. There was some four, it was a four and four with playoff teams and non-playoff teams, but they didn't face a gauntlet of uh, high octane airing out offenses over that stretch either. So the number it's impressive, but it's also a little skewed because of circumstance, as most stats are. 
This one's going to be tough. I just don't know if the if the Titans have enough to hold off. Now, if Derrick Henry, who I doubted in the first time around in the wild card, keeps on rolling, then there's no stopping. But I think this Ravens defense is much better than the Patriots defense, especially now with their ability to lock you down on the back end too. So I look for the Ravens to come out on top of this one. That's both the home teams on Saturday. I just think that uh, we also know that history suggests that the road team and the wild card teams don't often do very well moving forward. So I'm going to stick with the home little home cooking here and uh, head on to Sunday's games. And by the way, forgot to do it. Head on over if you're going to follow me on Twitter, Josh G. Buck, on Facebook, Jukes and Jumpers, Jukes and Jumps. The website is jukesandjumpers.wordpress.com, and the email address is jukesjumps at gmail.com. Heading over to Sunday's games, this, the first game is just, it's, it's the miserable, okay? Because this is the miserable 2.0 because it's playoffs, no less. The As a Chicago Bears fan, you have to watch the two quarterbacks taking after Mitchell Trubisky, who have been mentioned in the MVP conversation multiple times in Deshaun Watson, and of course, won an MVP last year in Patrick Mahomes. This last meeting, their only meeting between the two head-to-head was week six this year with the Texans coming out with a 31-24 victory. In that game, Sean Watson had 280 yards, one touchdown, two picks, but he also ran for 42 yards and had two touchdowns on the ground. The last week against the Bills, he had 247 yards and a touchdown and 55 yards and another touchdown. And, of course, he had that game-winning throw. Well, the throw to set up the game-winning field goal, but the one where he got out of that that split sack where two guys are coming at him from opposite sides and just spun out and found a receiver. Then Mahomes in that game, in the Week 6 matchup, had 273 yards and three touchdowns, one pick. So the quarterbacks were dueling. Watson obviously wasn't as good on the air in the air, but he, was, he made up for it on the ground. You just know that it's going to come down to that again. And the difference, though, I think, is there the, the Texans' ability to run the ball versus the Chiefs' inability to do so. Carlos Hyde in that game had 116 yards and a touchdown. Now, he struggled last week. Average about, I think, 16 carries, 48 yards. Not a great game for him after, again, having a nice run, over 1,000 yards this year. But the highest Chiefs running back is like 400 and some odd yards. So they're not a team that's doing well. Now, Damian Williams has had his last four games when he's got 12-plus touches. He's averaged 92-plus yards. That's good, but there's also been some long runs in there, like 90-plus yard gains. So... Those numbers, as usual, like we just mentioned, that's going to be a theme of this episode. Numbers are skewed, but it's still uh, more reason for the Chiefs to try to get him the ball any way they can because they got to do something to make sure that Deshaun Watson doesn't have a chance because for every bit of magic that we see Patrick Mahomes do, Deshaun Watson does, and I would say he does it with far less weaponry at his disposal. That's going to be one that it's going to be tough to watch because, you know, I'm going to be rooting I don't want to say rooting against either one but it's just going to be tough because I know what could have been and what isn't and man I think one of these I think whichever team comes out of this game has a very good chance of going to the Super Bowl now if the Chiefs make it if the Chiefs win this game I I I do believe that they have a better chance but if the Texans win they have a shot I think the Ravens again like I said we're going to win the game against the Titans so it'll be to go face Baltimore because Baltimore has home field advantage about the playoffs but I just think that the Chiefs are obviously better prepared to, A, give them enough go, and they might not stop them, but that keeping the foot, the the throttle on them, keeping the pressure on that offense is, I think, the recipe to make them 
falter a little bit, get them off schedule, off their ability to run as much as they want to because they have to go to the air. That's a way to get them a little bit off balance. The Texans, that secondary is just so porous to me. I do not have any faith in it at all. They let the Bills jump out to a 16-point lead before they finally figure some stuff out. And again, I've been telling you for a while now that they are a feast or famine offense, and it just doesn't look good. And when you do that against a team like the Chiefs, you end up behind. Now, we've seen the Chiefs have some kind of moments like that, and we know about playoff Andy Reid. But I just can't pick against the Chiefs overall this time versus the Texans. That's probably going to come back to bite me because I just I know that that well, that Week Six mean, meeting played out the way it did. But playoff time, Kansas City. I think Patrick Mahomes and and the Chiefs pull it out. I want to want to go home teams all the way, but I. I I just can't pick the Texans. That secondary and the Chiefs secondary is not great because everybody's talking about their defensive uh, revitalization under Steve Spagnuolo, but their competition this season, at least the second half of the season, hasn't been spectacular either. So they're not out here playing airing out offenses all over the place. That's some of the things that I think we got to stop doing too. We label a lot of these teams as bouncing around, and I'm speaking as a scoring Bears fan who knows a thing or two about being overhyped after a year of some kind of some modicum of success. We got to stop looking at these these schedules and things as a whole and kind of parse them apart and show exactly what's happening here. The, the Chiefs had a solid statistical season, but they weren't being challenged. And when they were being challenged, you saw them give up some numbers. I just told you what they did, what they allowed Deshaun Watson to do. So I don't think you can really be too secure if you're a Chiefs fan feeling like your defense has figured something out, even if you're going to be at Arrowhead, which you know gets incredibly loud. And for what it's worth, Deshaun Watson is 1-1 versus the Chiefs. Again, he did win that game in Week 6, but he lost to Alex Smith's Chiefs 34-42. to So there is that. Andy Reid might know something or other. Maybe he can. He and Patrick Mahomes will be simpatico this time around. Who knows? The final game of the weekend is going to be the Seahawks and the Packers. And I put this little note last, but I'm going to start off with it. This is the anniversary game. Not really because it's not the same date, but the anniversary of the fail Mary 2012 at Seattle, Golden Tate's game-winning touchdown. There was a missed OPI. He and, I believe, MD Jennings got caught up in the end zone going for the ball at the same time, came down with it, and tie goes to the runner. They both came down with it and ultimately resulted in a touchdown for the Seahawks, gave them a 14-12 W. Now, there was a missed OPI. He pushed Sam Shields, Golden Tate did, prior to that prior to that reception. So it should have been a passing interference, erasing the touchdown, and therefore giving Green Bay the win. Now, they've met since then, and it's just what we know what we're going to get here. This is a battle of two gunslinging quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers, 9-7 in the playoffs. Russell Wilson, 9-5. But head-to-head, Russ has the advantage 4-3, including a 2014 playoff victory. The Seahawks were the wildcard team last week. They came off of a victory over the Philadelphia Eagles, 17-9. And this is going to be a game. Now, we've seen the Packers defense have a, a bit of a resurgence this year. The two edge rushers, Zadarius and Preston Smith, have been just monstrosities coming off the edge. And that's going to be tough for us to get away from because we know that that offensive line does not do a great job of protecting him. And that offense has a tendency to stagnate when they don't hit the big plays. Now, they do have Marshawn Lynch back, and I would expect them to give them a heavy dose of him, not only to keep the offense on schedule, but also to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field because everything that Russ can do, Rodgers can do, and it'll be a long day for that defense that got after Eagles quarterbacks, but it was mostly Josh McCown, and 
while it was impressive, you just have to know that Rodgers is tough to get down. Trust me on this. <laughs> um, that, those tackles are very solid. Trust me on this. And Devontae Adams and those guys really just thrive on those broken plays and finding a way to beat you when you think you've gotten them locked up. So this won't be and then for for the for the pay, for the Packers if those rushers get too deep Russ is a master of stepping up and getting small up there in the pocket and finding either a running lane or being able to dump the ball off to a running back out of the backfield or hitting his, his guy Tyler Lockett who had a little bit of a showing last week and of course DK Metcalf who's come on strong down the stretch here this is going to be a game like I said of of gunslinging quarterbacks and I'm just I'm excited to see it I do think, though, that the Packers make it a clean sweep for the home teams. I think that the divisional, the wild card round teams all showed you what their flaws were. And I think that they will be exposed this weekend. And we can go back from the top to the bottom. From For the Vikings, it's that Kirk Cousins did get rattled early on, like Cam Jordan said. But allowed the Saints allowed the Vikings to hang around through mistakes, Drew Brees, turnovers, and, and such. So they ended up pulling that one out late. The 49ers are going to be pounding the rock constantly, and they are a much more sound team. I just I just like that style of play against this Vikings team, especially on the ground. They have a, a running game that won't go. They won't be so easily shut down like the Saints were last week. Then you have the Titans. Tannehill, who for as hot as he was, he didn't show up against a solid defense as much as we give them. The Patriots defense gripe for who they played. They are still a solid defense. They still have one of the best, if not the best, arguably the best cornerback in the game right now, Stephon Gilmore. And Tannehill struggled in that game. I can't imagine he's going to do too much better in this one. So that's there's a little bit of concern there. Now they'll have to lean on Derrick Henry. But this, again, the front of the Ravens is no slouch. I'm just not seeing a path to victory where... They're going to be able to rely on the offense just being as limp as the Patriots were while also being able to can to produce offensively themselves. The Texans, that secondary is going to be Swiss cheese now again. That running game is what could be key. Carlos Hyde had that good game against the Chiefs. He had a bad game last week. Can he get back on track? That'll be key. And Deshaun Watson keeping up his wizardry. This is basically the Seahawks and... Packers game later Sunday is a great day and I think it's going to have our two Super Bowl contestants in it in the Chiefs and the Packers ultimately but and then when you get to the Seahawks for that final game that defense is susceptible to being picked apart Josh McCown was able to keep the Eagles in it with a bunch of backups including himself so I can only imagine what Aaron Rodgers and those boys are going to do with the week's rest and two weeks to to kind of scout them out I'm just not sold that they'll be able to overcome it. They're just a team that's been broken and beaten up to a point where they just don't have enough. And they just, they have to find a way to invest in that offensive line. Give Russ some time. My gosh, man, you you are asking him to do an awful lot in the pocket every single time he drops back to pass. Switching gears slightly, going to the coaching carousel, the New York Giants hired New England Patriots receivers coach Joe Judge to be their head coach. The Carolina Panthers hired former Baylor and Temple coach Matt Rule to be their head coach. And we know the controversy that that sparked up as far as the Rooney Rule. We talked about it a little bit last week with the, or last episode with the Cowboys hiring Mike McCarthy and their only other interview being Marvin Lewis. Now, at the time, I discussed it in the face, in the facts of Marvin saying that his own, his stipulation for accepting the job would be bringing on Hugh Jackson. But 
it turned into something where quickly it became obvious that, that was their way of fulfilling the Rooney Rule. And the joke now, the the running thing now is that the Rooney Rule is just a joke where they are are complying, but we know that it's not being honored in the spirit of the rule itself. There's no way you're ever going to legislate it, and I I think that trying to do so at this level is a fool's errand because you can't do something that's already been ingrained you can't it's hard to change it at this point i think it needs to start at the lower levels and you see it i think guys like t martin and jason white former quarterbacks who have moved into offensive coordinator roles i think those are the guys who are valuable we need more of the young quarterbacks as minority quarterbacks being trained as passers and not so much as runners i think that would help them professionally but it would also help them to transition into the coaching aspects of it and do so get you get these these position players receivers get them encouraged to do so as well now you have receivers coaches and, and things of that nature which is funny because the patriots found joe judge still but um i you you have to do this at a young age and make it a habit from the from the ground levels up and that's how you instill it from making it routine when it becomes a change is when it becomes a problem. But if it's what you do from the beginning, then nobody will know the difference. And that's how, how you can affect that. So I think it's an honorable thing to try to accomplish. But I think when we're talking about, especially the owners are an older generation, there's no there's no way that anybody is going to switch up the practice that they do. They're going to hire who they think they should hire, regardless of how the perception is. Because ultimately they know that people will get over because nobody really is going to nobody's is going to go to bat that hard for a millionaire to be as blunt as possible and that's what these coaches are so it's a it's a tricky situation a slippery slope that they're sliding on but i think that the real change for it the real way to impact it has to come from the ground levels up and you have to start getting these these young players trained in the game aspect and not relying on their athleticism as much so that they can transition when things inevitably their playing career ends that's just how it goes um ending it the football portion of the show the nfl portion of the show with a little bit of local news the chicago bears kevin butler butthead the kicker from the super bowl team asked to retire as a bear and he was rejected now i have not gotten the full story on that that saw that pass and and on my notifications and it disappeared on me and I just don't understand how that could be possible but it's just one of those it's kind of fitting for this season that the team with the kicker issue last year had to figure it out a little bit and ultimately I think Eddie Panera might have been the the MVP aside from Allen Robinson obviously but the the MVP of this team with how how consistent he was throughout the year despite that rough patch and even bouncing back from that rough patch was impressive because he he had a lot riding on it but how fitting that they decided to deny their the team's most famous kicker, well, outside of Robbie Gold, I don't know. Is Robbie Gold more famous than Butthead? I guess it depends on who you ask. But denying him the the the, the wish of retiring as a member of the team, that's just, it's a weird thing to, to deny, just period. But even more so when you consider what his history is. And then there have been renewed rumors of outside quarterbacks like Cam Newton and Tom Brady joining the team this offseason. Namely with Newton, it was the hiring of Matt Rule and the the thought process that he would likely want to bring in his own guys from top to bottom. That's including coaching staff and player personnel. And he said that he wants to evaluate it at a different time if he talks with the ownership. Thoughts would be that he moves on. And if that's the case, then I think the Bears should find a way to get Cam. I know that people are going to question his 
accuracy, but I think if he is healthy, he's still an upgrade over what Trubisky, Mitchell Trubisky has been and will be. And there's a, there's a limit, though. I'm not I'm not breaking the bank. I need to make that clear. I think a lot of people get concerned when you say them like, I'm not going to pay him all this kind of money. And I'm like, well, it depends on what you mean by all this kind. And we they also want to they are quick to bring up the fact that the Bears don't have a lot of cap space. But I am quick to rebut that with, hey, you know, we see them move money all the time. When they when teams are properly motivated, the money can be moved. So don't ever think that the team that you root for doesn't have space if they don't want to create some. The other name, Tom Brady. Listen, if Brady does end up leaving the Patriots, there's no way that he comes there for a team that has shown that he can get in his own way more than Chicago Bears. And then on top of that, why would you leave New England to come to the Bears, another cold weather destination. I think at this point in his career, it's going to be warm weather, and it'll be an L.A. team. I think the Chargers would be a team that he would be interested in. Maybe if the if if and there's no way this is possibly happening because they would owe him so much money. If Jared Goff gets moved or whatever, they bring him to the, to the Rams. But that's like I said, impossible. But the dark horse team, one that I actually think would be a really cool story, would be the Vegas Raiders. Now, this is interesting in two ways. A, because it's Brady, the golden boy, TB12, going to the Raiders, and there's just so many storylines that that so much fun you could have with that, with the history of his history with the Patriots and, and the rumors of cheating and, 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 and things of like that nature. And then the Raiders just win uh, mentality in Vegas. That's just the perfect match. So I kind I'm kind of rooting for that one. On the low key, and and that would mean that Derek Carr gets released. Now Derek Carr could end up in any number of places. He probably wouldn't be released. He'd be traded, and same with Cam. And that would mean that there's no other place that that keeps the Bears' options more plentiful. Because I, like I said, I don't think that he'd be one of their realistic targets. But that would be one less team looking to upgrade at the, at the position. Now, if he was released somehow, I, I I'm I would wouldn't be against them bringing him in. I would be more for them to bring in a Derek Carr than, say, a Jameis Winston or a Marcus Mariota. And more so Mariota. I think Mariota is Trubisky a clone, basically. He is Trubisky without the vocal ability. So I think if they were the same, if they were one player, they could be right because Mariota is more accurate and a little bit more daring. But he's more injury prone. And he doesn't have the leadership ability. Trubisky has the leadership ability, but and and he's a, a vocal guy. But he might be just as injury prone, and he's his he's scattershot point blank point blank period. Winston just throws; he's just chucking. Winston is just he reminds me of Culpepper in that sense, where you just kind of see him putting the ball up a lot. Um, Dante had issues with fumbles more than just interceptions, but that's just who he reminds me of in the in, the, in when I watch him play. I think that. When you look at the when you look at the the overall landscape of it, the Bears are sitting in a position where they could address it, the position of the, the quarterback position if they want to, by multiple avenues. And I think that despite them saying that they are sticking with Mitch in the twenty twenty season as their starting quarterback, that means to me that that was their plan that day, sitting at that table in front of those microphones at that press conference. Nothing more. Than that, and I think that that's why they kind of said it the way they do. You got to remember that nothing is said without a purpose, and nothing is said on accident. So, Pace has been very calculated when he speaks. He doesn't speak often, so he makes his words count. And I think that was kind of the the at least that's, that might be just wishful thinking. 
But we'll see because they said that they weren't going to be making. They didn't know if they were going to make major changes to the coaching staff, and then immediately went out and fired the offensive line coach, the offensive coordinator, the tight ends coach, and I, we'll just have to see where it goes from there. But it's it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back because I don't think they can go into it with him as their number one option. And if you go in there with Alex Smith, I think you risk the 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 embarrassment of having Alex Smith beat you out and still not going anywhere. Beat out Mitchell Biscay and still not going anywhere with this team as a whole and you wasting another year of the defense. So that'll be that and something to keep an eye on as the offseason wears on. Switching gears now to the NBA kicking off with of course Lakers news because the Lakers can't keep themselves themselves out of the news. And as we do this transition, I will remind you that if you're gonna read the basketball stuff, read my basketball stuff for the Bulls beat at Chicago at Bulls Beat Blog on Twitter, but the website is Pippin Ain't Easy, and the NFL stuff obviously would be at Last Word on Pro Football. So, NBA. The Lakers are in the news again because, well, they are rumored to be shopping Kyle Kuzma. Now, at first came that they were listing the offers for Kyle Kuzma, but then over the weekend it broke, or a little bit earlier this week it broke that Rob Palenka was actually actively shopping Kuz. And the thing about it is, and I remember he came back off that injury not too long ago, but his numbers are down across the board. His percentages are down, but more importantly, he went from averaging 18 points per game down to 12 this year, but he was also averaging 15 shots per game, and now he's down to 10. It's kind of similar to Larry Markkinen. They've added more talent to this roster, obviously, and he's having the ball in his hands a lot less, and that's affecting him. Same thing, like I said, with Larry Markkinen in Chicago here where the multiple ball handler system is kind of taking away what he does best, his ability to operate and get buckets. That's going to be something to keep an eye on because I think that the initial reaction to it was he was the better option between uh, he and Brandon Eagleman, who we'll, t- who we'll talk about in a second. But is he? does this count as the, as the new Kevin Love, who was the new Chris Bosh? Is that what Kyle Kuzma is, the subject of trade rumors who really won't go anywhere because they kind of need what he brings to the table, especially now that AD has his bruised tailbone. They're going to need his scoring to try to keep afloat for however long he's out. And should LeBron ever miss any games, they're going to need that scoring for sure then. This team has a lot of holes in it now. That they're, That is why another part of why they're actively shopping him. They need uh, another point guard, a wing player, a two guard really. And it's funny because that that point forward role who can shoot, that's where Brandon Ingram kind of lies now. And he's down in New Orleans now. Mind you, these numbers are coming without Zion Williamson on the floor, but he's at 25 points per game, nearly seven rebounds per game, and four assists. His three-point percentage went up from 32 to 40 this year, and his this is the biggest jump, and it's, this is the point that I think that a lot of people are missing. But he's shooting a career high at the free throw line, career high attempts, but he's also shooting, he's a career 66% free throw shooter. He, this year, is up to 87%. Brandon Ingram has matured to a point where I think he was able to go to a place that fit the Big Easy. If you look at him, he, he looks like the Big Easy. That was a better nickname for him than uh, Slender Man that I actually, I, I actually find rather funny that he has it. But I think that Big Easy is perfect for him. And him and Zion, if they could figure out a way to both be good together, be great together, and I saw a suggestion of maybe playing a lot of small ball with Zion at the five. I don't see Zion being able to handle the five for long extended stretches. But again, I didn't see Draymond being able to do it, and he did it too. So with the way the, the NBA is trending, who knows, outside of Philly, obviously. They, they, they seem to hold on to the big guy. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the flourish of Brandon Ingram is something to marvel at this year. And 
uh, interesting side note to the saga that's going in LA with Kuzma and the injuries and just everybody harping over everything that happens with the Lakers despite them having that lead that they have in the Western Conference. It's just an interesting time. And speaking of the Lakers, Stephen A. Smith was in the news for saying that he has sources telling him that Kawhi Leonard thinks LeBron is scared to guard him and that the league thinks that the Lakers are soft and you can be physical with them. Lou Will immediately went out and called it cap. I'm on the side of more than likely thinking that that's the truth, that it's probably some cap. Somebody Now, I'm not saying Stephen A. didn't get that from his source, but I wouldn't say that came out of Kawhi's mouth. I don't see Kawhi... A, saying something like that, but let alone saying it to somebody who could possibly leak it to Stephen A. Smith. This also falls in line with the recent run of Stephen A. Smith blunders where he's just kind of saying a little bit of anything. And, man, that check cleared, and he just seems to just be rambling off. And He supposedly was saying that, you know, he had the gap where we talked about players that retired. He... Stephen A., you, you got to show respect to the man. He's been a, a legend in the game. But at some point, you got to start saying some of these things because when they come and get shot down, you look the part of the uninformed. Now, that's going to be part of the game when you've been doing it as long as he has. But these are high-profile things that he's going out there and saying and, and sharing with people that come out to be on fire. Now, who knows? We'll never know the truth. He could be 100% accurate. But it'll always look like he was just trying to create stuff, especially when you consider the recent things that he said, including siding with another quite questionable decision I'll discuss in a moment. The other issue, though, with this this Clippers team, supposedly, a reporter asked Montrezl Harrell if there was something going on, what, what could be the underlying issue, if it's anything going on in the locker room. And his answer to that was he didn't know. I don't know, brother, is, is actually what he said. PG came out and said, no, nah, things are good, but if Trez is saying it, then it's got to be something. Maybe that's part of the problem, that guys like Trez aren't being heard. That that kind of makes what Trez said true. If you got guys who are denying what somebody's literally just said to a camera, I think when you look at guys like Montrez who were here, who were there and with the Clippers last year, and they were doing fine. It's tough now to have this, these two superstar talents, and they're picking and choosing seemingly when they want to play in Kawhi, or they're out there and they're struggling to win games. They just had that two game stretch we talked about last episode against the Knicks and the Grizzlies, where they lost, they got blown out by the Grizz without PG, but with Kawhi, and then they they eked out a victory, a high scoring victory over the Knicks with PG, but without Kawhi, and. They just seem like they're, they're missing a couple pieces too, like the Lakers are. Both teams are not quite complete, but they'll be fine when the playoffs start. I'm not worried about that at all. The point is that you get these two superstar players here, and you feel like things should be going a lot better than they are right now. And I'm not saying that they're going bad, but I could definitely see a world where Trez is like, man, we not, we still, we still trying to struggle. We can't keep trying to figure it out. We've heard that come out of the this locker room, this roster, recently as well. They'll figure it out. They got time. This is part of it. You know, it's the doldrums of the season. It's a long season. They're just getting into the 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 good groove right before the All-Star break. We're about time for guys to take a little step back and, and take a breath. But I just thought that, that that one was interesting for Trez to say it and then Peter to say, nah. Well, there's your sign, sir. Um, the story I referenced a little second ago where Stephen A. agreed with the questionable call. John Beeline, the head coach of the Cleveland Cavs, remember he was the Michigan head coach just last year, called his players thugs. Now, 
in context, he said we will not continue to play like thugs. He says as he that he apologized and that he meant to say slugs. I'm not sure that. Uh, I mean, th- there's a world where it could happen, <laughs> but that's two different vowel sounds, two different consonant sounds. The mouth movements are two totally different things. I just don't know why. <laughs> You have players come out saying they've never heard a coach call them slugs and this, that, third. It's a very old school term if somebody was going to say it, like 1940s stuff. You're moving like a bunch of slugs. You know, one one for the Gipper style. But it's almost, it feels like an, an insult to your intelligence when somebody says the word thugs. And we know how, in this culture that we live in, how it's going to appear to a room full of black players. I don't know what he what he meant by it. Can't speak on that. Don't know John Beeline. Don't know his interaction with players before this. But what I do know is when you say it, could have just just left it at my bad. It, my bad. I slipped. I, it slipped. I apologize. No, I don't think our players are thugs. I apologize. And you just got to work past that. At that point, it'll probably never go away. But trying to say you meant to say another word just makes you look that much more guilty. And I think that's where his his key mistake is. But man. Thugs? I thought we were way past that, homie. That's that's rough. That one's rough. A stat that I saw interesting that this is I told you this is the the episode of Slanted Stats. Mello. Mello has the most game winning shots since he entered the league in 03. Now that's a slanted stat because of the fact that they do this whenever you, you put somebody from when they entered the league, it's usually a player who had a very long career. We know that in no sport is the average career. It's I think it's three years in the NFL and something around that whereabouts in the NBA. The the average career is not that long. So of course the really good players are going to have the most. That's what makes them the really good players. It's the 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 longevity of it lends itself to having those type of records. Now that doesn't that's not to diminish the greatness. It's just a I, I feel like that's a weird way or it's a a half truthful way of giving you that information when you give out those kind of numbers just saying that most since the league well yeah not many guys have lasted as long so t- still tip of the cap 100 percent. i just again slant is that episode that's what this is other news jimmy butler got into it with tj warren tj warren tj warren the flipping of the bird jimmy blew him a kiss they got tangled up on what really looked like a nothing kind of foul by tj warren jimmy took exception to it and got into his face and then got in the camera and got to barking Saying that this ain't what he want. Um, he's telling that telling TJ saying that TJ could was mad because he can guard TJ, but TJ can't guard him. And if he was the coach, he wouldn't put TJ on him. And just a whole bunch of capping and wolfing, man. And I love it. It was great. <laughs> it's great, man. I missed that. The Bulls could use some of that, Jimmy, right there. That's that's good. That's good stuff, Jimmy. I don't care if you mean it or not. That's South Beach, Jimmy is good, Jimmy. I love it. And I love the fact that it was for a guy like T.J. Warren, who by and large is not a name that's known outside of uh, with the, among the casual fans. Jimmy don't care. Jimmy said, "I'm like that." If you watch the video on Twitter, man, he's I'm like that. I'm that. I'm him. It was a good clip. I love it. Love it. Could use some of that fight here. There is more Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid trade speculation. Of course, this is going to go on until either their careers are over or they ultimately get split up. You get a lot of mixed calls on who would be the one that people would trade and who would be the one they would build around. The argument for Embiid is he's at his peak, the more dominant player that we've seen 
The argument for Ben is that he's the more modern player and probably the easier one to build around because with Embiid, you have a slow half-court system that is built around a dinosaur archetype player in Embiid who's back-to-the-basket guy down in the paint. He can shoot the three, but it's not a great shot. And more importantly than that, you always have the injury issue and the conditioning issue and those are things that you have with Ben as well, but it just hasn't been as big of a hindrance as it has been for Embiid throughout his career. Obviously, the knee injury uh, we know about. For Ben, the problem is the three-point shot and the free-throw line. And I think that might be the bigger one than three-point shot, to be honest with you. I think people need to focus more on his free-throw shooting than they do his three-point shot. But the non-shot period outside of the the, the painted area is a big hindrance for him. But I think if if you surround him with shooting and let him play at the four then you got a guy who's going to shoot you from outside and you are playing a four out at worst and a five out at best if you can get a guy like a Pascal or an Amari Spellman. Not them because they're not. I don't think they're at the level to make a, a difference like that. But guys who can play like that where they can play some defense, but they're more important, they can shoot the three ball, they can shoot from deep and, and spread the floor for you, allow Ben to run. If a team, if they're trying to get rid of Ben and they want to send him here, go ahead, that's fine. I'll, find, I'll figure out a package to get Ben over if I am a GM of a team. But, man, that's one that uh, I, people seem to, by and large, want to side on the on the, the Embiid camp. And that's fine. I just wouldn't be one of them. Point blank, period. I think if I was going to be building the team, I would be picking Ben. I want the six foot ten point forward who can score, and he definitely needs to be more aggressive. He definitely needs to be more aggressive. He kind of he he can shy away from the moment, but I think. That part of that is not being fully empowered to be the alpha on the team. Now, that's, again, could be a personal issue. Athletes have done some stranger things. So, I wouldn't put it past it for that. But, ultimately, I don't think they will, I don't think it behooves them to break them up. You're not going to get equal value, especially for Ben this year. The contract is, he's still on that rookie deal. His extension, that big money won't kick in until next year. So, he's not getting moved anywhere this year. Now, if they fail... We must revisit this game in the summer. If they don't do anything, if they don't deliver on my prediction of them being the representatives of the Eastern Conference in the finals, then we might have to talk about this again later on. But I don't think they're going anywhere. There's no, there's no reason to break them up. I know you might not like the fit. It might be clunky at times, but they're two transcendent players when they're both right. And you don't find that. That's not something you just throw away at on a whim because it didn't work or because it doesn't look right on paper. Speaking of trades or player movement, there was footage of Steph and Giannis at the end of the Bucks and Warriors game, and I tweeted this out when it happened. We're not even covering our mouths anymore. You know, you had the shots of, of LeBron talking to players with his jersey over his mouth, and then they getting traded like he did it with Lonzo most recently, and then that was when before LeBron got to L.A. and then now uh, Lonzo was down in New Orleans. But Steph has done it himself. He did it with Iggy. He did it with Clay, with KD, and he's been a bold, bold advocate and trying to get guys to his team and I wonder why does he not get that kind of hate in the media that LeBron gets for recruiting guys like I said LeBron at least LeBron is it because he tries to make it look sneaky is that what it is and Steph is just out here doing it like yeah hey come because when you see the clip you can see he's clearly telling them and I tweet this out like man we're not he's not even trying to hide it he Let's do it. Now, maybe they're talking about selling Girl Scout cookies for Steph's daughter together or something. I don't know. But, man, (laughs) the last few times we've seen Steph make that play, the guy ended up in the bay. Now, Giannis has said that he wants to stay in Milwaukee. 
But if they fall short again, we already know how things can change in a heartbeat. And I think an underrated part of that video, before I move on from this topic, is as Steph's dapping up Giannis and giving him all his attention, telling him, hey, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it, Chris Middleton is walking up right behind him. And so Steph gives Giannis the whole spiel, looks at Chris Middleton and gives him one of them real quick dap-ups. And it reminded me of that, that Key and Peele scene where he's pretending to be Obama and he's shaking up with half the audience and, and dapping up the other half. It, it just was the funniest thing because he went from, hey, yeah, let's go, you know, come on, let's do it, to, hey, what's up, dog? Real quick, <laughs> real business like with Chris Middleton, but Giannis is getting his full attention, as it should be. But it was just funny because I know Chris Middleton had to be sitting there like, man, he going to, you know, it's like somebody hitting your girl right in front of you and then saying, oh, what's up, dog? And then walking off on you. <laughs> I found that way too funny. Um, couple of more interesting topics. Real quick one, the Houston Rockets got smacked by 21 by the Oklahoma City Thunder. Harden had an off game. Chris Paul has a dirty move on the big from the Rockets and got to the cup and just had a oh, really off game. Russell Westbrook had a good game. Seven turnovers. He had a lot of turnovers. So maybe it was an okay game because turnovers are, are really bad. You know, kind of. Um, but that 21. Houston, man, they're a team that they have so much talent, but you just know that they're not going to reach it because they always have these kind of moments, and they have these kind of moments like this in the playoffs. That's the problem. Harden looking at you and you beat it. Just saying. The other interesting factoid of the night or, or tidbit was Kendrick Perkins and Kevin Durant having a little back and forth on the internet. Kendrick Perkins was talking to uh, a Twitter user, Twitter follower, and commented how Kevin Durant couldn't get it done without Russell Westbrook while he was there. So what is what does something mean? Kevin Durant took a little bit of exception. He pointed out how Perkins had averaged about two points and like half a block or something like that. Some real real lowly stats in thirty something minutes, and said way to do it, champ. And they went into the point where Perkins started calling out Katie for making the move to Golden State. Got to the point where Perkins actually double responded to a t- with to a tweet instead of continuing in the thread. Did respond to himself, showing that he was still focused on that one tweet. Katie sent out a handshake. It's just a bad look for Perk. You can tell that Katie got under his skin. Katie, Katie is one of the best followers on Twitter, man. I love when he interacts with fans. He was going back and forth with another guy who was saying that Katie will forever be tainted for what he did. And Katie's like, okay, why should I care what you want me to do? You know, he's like, no, you should have did this. You could have had it, but you chose to do this. Oh, the, the conversation, I apologize. The conversation was about Katie choosing the Nets over the Knicks and how Brooklyn will never be the Mecca because the, the, the Mecca in New York is all about the Knicks. And Katie was like, that's cool. Like, like basically saying, that's your reasoning for why I should have gone there. But my reasoning for why I came here has nothing to do with that. So shut the hell up. Great answer. Best answer you could have given. Again, Katie is, is a, a, a necessity on the Twitters, and I was upset that he was gone for a while, but I'm so glad that he's back. And we're going to wrap it up with this a little bit. The Bulls announced that, they're going, that Wendell Carter is going to miss several weeks, four to six, and they're going to check on him daily, though. I don't know why you announced he's going to miss four to six weeks and then say you're going to check on him daily. If they weren't t- tanking already, they're definitely going to be tanking now. I just don't know that they can make up enough ground. They're going to end up at seven again. Four years of having the seventh overall, p- seventh overall pick. Now, granted, one of those selections was made by another team, but still, you get the idea. This is getting closer to blow-up status than I think they, they anticipated. That I think even the, the staunchest detractor might have anticipated it being the roster itself has regressed to the point where we're kind of going through what we go through here in Chicago with the Bears where you're just wondering, like, okay, 
can these guys even play basketball? In the third quarter, they have been getting destroyed on a routine basis. They gave up 44 points to the Pelicans the other night. They lost the game by 15. They got outscored in that, or they lost the game by 15 in that quarter. They got outscored by 17. This is a recurring theme for them and something that they they need to be worked out. You had the players saying that they're not adjusting. You just know that this is not going to end well for anybody involved and the little bit of response you get from the front office makes it frustrating for anyone trying to follow this team, anyone trying to forecast any type of way out of this kind of muck that they're in, but they don't seem to be trying to make it easy for you and they don't seem to when that happens, when you get that kind of despondent ownership and, and, and management group it, it bleeds into the fan base and they start to become become apathetic folks thought that when that picture was circulating of an emptier united center that it was going to lead to some kind of change but now we're just hoping on rumors that we're hearing that things could be closer and it's just it seems like the the worse it gets the further we get from any actual action being taken now, i'm not calling for anybody to be fired but moves some kind of some kind of explanation of what the plan is some kind of direction they, there almost needs to be a state of the union for the, the for the Chicago Bulls right now, just to tell everybody where they're deciding to go with this, because it just looks like there's the wheels are coming off really quickly. And if that's the case, then they might need to start piecing some guys out. Thad Young could be a guy who who can go. Remember, he was saying that he was unhappy with his minutes. Now he did get a start in place of the injured Carter, but when you start falling down in the standings, those veteran guys have a lot of more value to other teams that are contending than they do to you. And you could bring in some valuable pieces, especially if you're able to bring in some bad contracts or, or contributable player, players who can contribute on not so great contracts. Those are also things that I don't think the Bulls have ever really been active on trying to do. They are t- a team that sells second round draft picks. So good luck trying to figure that out. But Wendell going down, I've begrudgingly had to admit that he's been the most consistent player on this team this year, but this is a major blow that's going to set them back for weeks, and I'm just not sure how they're going to recover, and I'm not sure that they were going to recover anyway. So now it's just kind of like, well, what do you do? Can you get bad enough to make it count, or are they kind of stuck? I tend to fall in the latter group that they are kind of stuck in this point, and just brace yourself because it's going to probably get ugly before it gets a lot better. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buck. Follow me up. Follow me on Twitter, at Josh G. Buck. On the Facebook, at Juice Jumps. The website is juiceandjumpers.wordpress.com. And the email address is juicejumps at gmail.com. Read the football stuff. Last word on pro football. Read the basketball stuff. Pippin ain't easy. And, of course, the blog, juiceandjumpers.wordpress.com. I will be speaking with you next time after the division round of the playoffs. Again, my picks for the division round of the playoffs are all the home teams. If you have to put money on it, put money on the home teams because I don't see how these road teams with all their flaws. Not to say that the home teams aren't flawed, but these road teams are going to be going down this weekend. That's my, my final word on the way out. And with that note, I'm gone.